Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Well, if you told someone from Germany that you'd like to give her a gift, she might feel insulted because the word gift in German doesn't mean present. It means poison. And if you were to order biscuits in London, you're going to get cookies. And if someone from Brazil asks you to play football, they mean this, not this. Most of the rest of the world, what we call soccer, they refer to as football. i got to get rid of these. So it's important in our conversations at times to define our terms to make sure we're all talking about the same things. Uh, this can be extremely important. For example, in today's climate where someone's talking perhaps about racism, what they mean by racism may not be what you understand racism to be. And because of that, we make important dialogue increasingly challenging because we just talk past each other. We don't take time to define our terms. And this need to define our terms actually comes into play when we're talking about biblical and theological words as well because two people can mean very different things when talking about common stuff such as sin, the gospel, and the kingdom. And that also includes something as common as discipleship. Some people have very clear, definitive, concise, concrete ideas about what discipleship is and what it entails, and those ideas are different from what someone else thinks discipleship is. And at the same time, others have only vague, clear notions about what discipleship means and what it is. But given the fact that the commission that Jesus assigns to his church and the last commandment that Jesus gives to his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew is to make disciples, understanding discipleship is pretty important. And probably the best way we have for gaining a clear understanding of what the Bible means by discipleship is listening to what the Bible has to say about it. So that's what we're going to do this morning by looking at the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, to hear what the Bible has to tell us to help us understand discipleship. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, you can open them to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to begin looking at verses 18 through 20. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you this morning, you should be able to locate a paperback Bible underneath one of the seats nearby you. That text that we're going to be looking at this morning is on page 487 of those paperback Bibles. Again, that passage is Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. So I invite you, if you're able now, to stand for the reading of God's Word. And Jesus came and said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord abides forever. You can be seated. Well, as we try to take some steps toward understanding discipleship this morning, let's begin with formulating the definition of discipleship. We just talked about the importance of defining our terms, so that's where we should start, formulating the definition of discipleship. But one hurdle that we face right away is the fact that the word discipleship never once occurs in the Bible. The word discipleship is never in the Bible. However, thankfully, the related word disciple is used quite frequently. 
and it helps us understand what discipleship means. But in order for it to help us in understanding discipleship, we have to have some kind of idea of what a disciple is, and that's another kind of term that we rarely take the time to formulate a definition for. What exactly is a disciple? Part of our challenge there is the Bible doesn't provide for us a concise definition of a disciple, but it does give us helpful descriptions, and primarily those come from the teachings and the words of Jesus himself. Now, our English word disciple is based on a Latin root. It's not based on the Greek New Testament term. In fact, the Greek New Testament term sounds nothing like our English word of disciple. The Greek term is mathates. Sounds nothing like our word disciple because that word disciple is based on a Latin term. But both the Latin and the Greek terms share the basic meaning of learning or being a learner. And so the basic idea of being a disciple is being a learner. But we have to be careful not to impose our notions of modern classroom learning onto the New Testament understanding of a disciple as a learner. Because there's actually much more to learning than sitting in a classroom, sitting at a desk, taking notes, and taking tests. I mean, after all, we don't learn to ride a bike that way. We don't learn to tie our shoes that way. Much learning takes place as we are doing including doing as a result of imitating others doing. Much of our learning comes through imitation. I mean, think about some of these things that we learn by imitation. We learn to speak by imitating. We learn to do all kinds of things, like writing the letters of our alphabet through imitation. Learning how to resolve conflicts is learned by imitating. Learning social etiquette, what is appropriate in this setting and what is appropriate in a different setting, are all learned in some degree by imitation. Now, of course, this is not to say that the New Testament idea of a disciple as a learner doesn't include common things like studying and reading. I mean, after all, God gave us his word to be studied and to be read deeply so that we might know him and that we might know his salvation. So the New Testament concept of a disciple doesn't exclude things like reading and studying, but it centers around this idea of imitation, learning by doing through imitation. We actually detect this in the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, where he says, a disciple is not above his teacher. Notice the assumption here is that a disciple is someone who has a teacher from whom he or she is expected to learn. The disciple is not above his teacher, but he goes on to say that everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So notice that the aim of this teaching is not merely for the, for the disciple to be informed. It is to imitate, to become like, or to be conformed to the teacher. That's the New Testament idea of a disciple. Now, tying together a number of other biblical truths, let me offer this as a definition of a disciple. A disciple is a person in loving fellowship with God by grace through faith in Jesus, following him by the power of the Holy Spirit in cross-bearing self-denial as a lifelong obedient learner with the aim of being informed, transformed, and conformed to our Savior. Now, there's a couple things that I think are important to note here in this definition that needed to be included. I recognize this is a lengthy definition. You might be thinking, who came up with such a long definition as this? Well, that's mine. This is, this is my definition of a disciple, trying to tie 
as many important themes as possible together. And one of the things I think is important to note is that a disciple is someone who loves God. You can't be a disciple and not be following the first and greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But it's loving the Trinitarian God. So something of the Son and the Spirit need to be mentioned in there as well. And of course, you can't be a disciple apart from faith. And that faith has to be empowered by grace. Our life as a disciple is something that's empowered not by ourselves, but by the grace of God. So those things are important to note. But if you really want to get to the essential elements of the definition, it has to do with following Jesus in cross-bearing self-denial as a lifelong obedient learner. We've talked about that idea of a disciple as a learner already with the aim of being informed, transformed, and conformed to our Savior. That's a briefer definition. And reflected in this language is the understanding that to be a disciple of Jesus specifically entails very specific things that we read about in the New Testament, namely cross-bearing self-denial. We get this from the teaching of Jesus himself. For example, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Cross-bearing self-denial. Now this language of coming after Jesus, if anyone would come after me, is also tied to being a disciple later in Luke chapter 14 verses 25 through 27 where we read that great crowds are accompanying Jesus and he turns to them and this is what he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, there's that language again, cannot be my disciple. And so being a disciple means to come after Jesus, following him in cross-bearing self-denial. That's part of what it means to be a disciple, a learner, but a learner who is in cross-bearing self-denial. Now when we get to the idea of discipleship, I would submit the discipleship is simply our personal commitment to following Jesus according to this pattern. That's what discipleship is. Our own personal commitment to following Jesus according to this pattern that's set out for us here. Now we can't ignore, however, the extreme nature of Jesus' words here about hating. It can be very perplexing here in this Luke passage. So we understand that we shouldn't take Jesus' words literally here. Jesus isn't telling us to hate people. Rather, he's intentionally using exaggerated language to impress us and the crowds with the demands of discipleship. He's confronting us with the real demands of following him as a disciple. So we've looked a little bit at formulating the definition of a disciple in discipleship. Now let's consider next form, uh, let's consider next get back to my next slide now that's the one I forgot discipleship is the personal commitment to following Jesus according to this pattern next thing though is facing the demands of discipleship the methods for the development I'm, I'm sorry the there's no Christian discipleship without following Jesus All right, we've looked at that already but there's no following Jesus apart from self-denial and cross-bearing when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, implicit in that is the prayer, my kingdom go. And so this self-denial and cross-bearing means that we're living for Jesus above ourselves. That's what it means to be a disciple, to live for Jesus above yourself. 
It's about his kingdom. It's about building his kingdom. It's about the glory of the king, not building our kingdoms and the glory of us. These are the demands of discipleship, and we don't get to ignore them, and we don't get to pretend that they're optional, which means if your primary pursuits in life and what is motivating most of your decisions in life, regardless of what you say is motivating them, if most of what you're pursuing in life and are after in life is your own personal comfort and convenience, you cannot and will not be a faithful follower of Jesus, at least not for very long, because you can't, because the reality is discipleship is difficult and it's costly. This language of self-denial and cross-bearing tells us that it's difficult and costly. Cross-bearing is the language of dying to oneself. And we're reminded here of the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer when he says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's not comfortable. That's not an invitation to convenience. It's the way to eternal life, to be sure. But discipleship is hard. And whatever is causing us to think that somehow our following of Jesus should be something that makes life easier, we need to dispense with those lies, wherever they're coming from, whether they're coming from the culture around us, whether they're coming from within the church culture, whether they're coming from the evil one. The Bible never tells us that following Jesus is going to be easy. easy. It's difficult and it's costly. And so when we think about these kinds of things, it's worth stopping to ask ourselves, what am I doing in my life that reflects self-denial in order for me to be able to follow Jesus faithfully? How am I denying myself so that I can follow Jesus as his disciple faithfully? But notice that these demands are things that we are to actively embrace rather than things that are given to us that we are to passively to be bearing. We are to take up our cross. It's not just that we're given a cross to bear. We are to actively and intentionally take up our cross. And so that's the second thing to say about discipleship. It's active and intentional. We have to be actively and intentionally making self-sacrificing decisions, actively and intentionally doing hard things, not because we have to atone for the guilt of our sins, not to punish ourselves, but because this is what's required in order to follow Jesus faithfully. We have to make self-sacrificing decisions and do hard things to be a disciple of Jesus, actively and intentionally. It means that we tell the truth when it would be easier to lie about something. It means that we deny our impulses, that we put to death our impulses, that we're willing to crucify our impulses toward impatience and our desire to get revenge and our lust, and our greed, and our pride, and our excess, and our selfishness, so that we can be a people who display patience, and forgiveness, and mercy, and moderation, and humility, and generosity, and contentment, and love for others. It means actively and intentionally embracing the demands of study, deep study, the demands of prayer, the demands of fasting, of giving, of serving, of worshiping, of witnessing to others. Listen, the truth is, we can say that we want to grow spiritually, and we can say that we want to follow Jesus, but unless we're willing to actively and intentionally embrace the difficult and costly demands of discipleship, we're not gonna be growing in our faith, and we're not gonna be following Jesus, because these things have to be active and intentional with costly, difficult things, 
And we have to embrace these things and engage in these things daily. Jesus says, take up your cross daily because discipleship is not a one-time act. It's not a one-time decision. It's a lifestyle. It's a, long, it's a lifelong lifestyle. We could say it this way. Christian discipleship is a process. It's not an event. And it's a long process. And there are no shortcuts to spiritual growth. Spiritual growth doesn't happen quickly. Christian leadership specialist John Maxwell notes an important difference between events and processes. And he notes that events have value because we know we've been nurtured and strengthened by events before. But he notes this difference between events and processes. Events tend to encourage decisions. They motivate people. They challenge people. But they're also relatively easy. Attending an event isn't all that demanding. In contrast, processes encourage development. They encourage maturity and they change people. And because of those differences, processes are demanding. And this is where the idea of a lifelong learner comes in. We never outgrow our need for continued growth. We never outgrow the need to continue to engage in this process actively, intentionally, with difficult, costly things. You know, we can kind of think of discipleship like one would think of athletic training. It's a process. It's not an event. You can't train well to compete in athletics with, with a one-time act. It's a process. I mean, think about, if you're watching the Olympics, think about the fact that some of these swimmers that we're watching or some of these track and field runners that we'll be watching have spent the last three, four, five, or more years of their life in actively denying themselves certain things costly, difficult kinds of training to shave hundredths of a second off of their time. Years to shave this much time off. Because this can be the difference between gold and silver. This can be the difference between meddling and not meddling. But the athletes that were watching the Olympics are doing it for gold or silver or bronze or for the glory of country. We're doing it because we stand to inherit an eternal and everlasting glory and crown. We're doing it not for our earthly kingdoms. We're doing it for the eternal kingdom and our glorious king. And we're called to be engaged in this process. There are no shortcuts to this. Trevin Wax perhaps puts it well when he says, growth doesn't happen in an instant. Like other disciplines, improvement happens over time. As we eat and drink and exercise, the same is true of the spiritual. It's the daily rhythm of submitting ourselves to God and bringing our plans and hopes and fears to him that makes the difference. Over time, and that has a profound effect on the kind of person you're becoming. So how can we be more intentional about being engaged in this process? What are some of the ways that we facilitate our own development of discipleship? So let's talk about that third, facilitating the development of discipleship, the development of ourselves as disciples and others as disciples. Well, the methods for the development of discipleship are actually spelled out by Jesus right here in Matthew chapter 28 in the Great Commission. Maybe not exhaustively, but he explicitly mentions three things in, the, in connection with the command to make disciples, which by the way, in the Greek, in the Great Commission, is the only command. The only command in the verses is to make disciples. 
And there's three things that are given in support of the development or carrying out the obedience of that command. How do you make disciples? How do we facilitate the development of discipleship? Well, the one thing he mentions is going. In the Greek text, going is not a command. It's supportive of this command. How do we make disciples? By going, which means discipleship is something that we should actively pursue, which means, at least in part, that we should be sharing the gospel we should be sharing God's truth with the unconverted, even going to other nations. That's what he says. Go into all nations and make disciples. So this is active and intentional in terms of our going to share the gospel with the unconverted. But contrary to the way we sometimes talk about the Great Commission, the Great Commission is not fulfilled when we share the gospel with unbelievers. It is an important part of the Great Commission. It is a far too neglected part of the Great Commission. It is, an, it is a neglected part even in my own life of the Great Commission to share the gospel with the unconverted. But it's more than that because making disciples, which is the command here, also includes nurturing the converted toward further growth, development, and maturity. Consider what Chan Van Dykeshorn writes when he says, when a person is brought to Christ, the church's work is not done. It has only just begun. So long as Christians are immature, so long as they are satisfied with the emptiness of this world instead of the fullness of Christ, so long as we see members wobble with every wave of error that comes our way, so long as these conditions exist, we have equipping ministry to do, a ministry on the agenda, a body to build up. But notice what's happening here in the Great Commission. Jesus is commanding his disciples to make disciples. Disciples make disciples. That's an important part of what it means to be a disciple. It's part of our discipleship is to make disciples. So we actually have to go back and add something to our earlier definition. Our earlier definition was a disciple is a person in loving fellowship with God by grace through faith in Jesus, following him by the power of the Holy Spirit and cross-bearing self-denial as a lifelong, obedient learner with the aim of being informed, transformed, and conformed to our Savior. But now we have to add this, and assisting others to do the same. Because you see, as Christian disciples, we are to exhort others to follow Jesus as his disciples. But then we are to facilitate their growth by nurturing them toward maturity, by encouraging them and by modeling for them, by instructing them how a disciple is to live. So when we talk about discipleship, again, what discipleship is, it is our own personal commitment to following Jesus according to the pattern that he lays out for us, but it's also helping others to follow Jesus that more thoroughly captures what is meant by discipleship. Our own following of Jesus and helping others to follow him as well. That's discipleship. Now the second thing Jesus mentions in facilitating the development of discipleship is baptizing. Now this might seem strange, but it's clearly here in the text. Go baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But baptism is a way of identifying as belonging to Jesus. But baptism is also a way that we identify as belonging to the church, to his people. Our own confessional standards, the Westminster Confession of Faith, puts it this way, describes baptism as a sacrament for the solemn admission of the person baptized or the party baptized into the visible church. A person is identified as belonging to Jesus and his people or her pe his people through baptism. And so to make disciples requires baptizing because discipleship requires not just communion with Jesus, but communion with his people. 
Discipleship is a community project. We do it together. We're not intended to live isolated lives as Christians, but instead we're enfolded into a community of faith where we grow and mature together as mutually dependent parts of a body. One can think of Paul's instruction in 1 Corinthians 12 with his analogy of the human body. One can also think of his words in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, where he writes this, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. Our discipleship is not an individual project. It's a, communi- it's a community one where we grow together as a community of faith. But finally, Jesus mentions a third thing. He mentions teaching. Obviously, there can't be disciples. There can't be learners unless there's teaching going on. And we're constantly in need to be learning about God's word, about God's truth, how to understand it, how to interpret it, how to apply it, how to obey it, how to live it out. So we're constantly in need of being taught and of teaching. And that teaching takes place in the community of faith that we teach and exhort one another and are taught and exhorted by one another. But this teaching isn't limited to a local congregation because the community of faith isn't limited to the local congregation. Our opportunities to be instructed and taught and discipled are not limited to the people in this room. It goes beyond that. And in fact, the church isn't limited, not just in terms of the people in a local congregation, but it's not limited by people who are alive today either. The communion of saints and the community of the church extends beyond even the present age. And so in a very real sense, we can be taught and we can be discipled by people we've never met before. And this is actually why The reading of good books is something to be encouraged in our discipleship, to benefit from those who have studied more and studied longer than we have and to be able to learn from them. The truth is we learn faster, we learn more, and we learn better when we're being taught by someone who knows more than we do. That's just the truth. And so we need to avail ourselves to lots of people who have taken time to study. This leads Alistair McGrath to say this, we need to be able to tap into the wisdom of others, past and present, who have the potential to inform, encourage, inspire, and challenge us. Now certainly this includes tapping into the wisdom of one another in this room, but it also includes tapping into the wisdom of others outside of this room, who have studied, who are learned, who have written, who are instructing us, both past and present. I mean, just as an example from my own life, I've been deeply impacted and formed spiritually by the writings of C.S. Lewis. As a young Christian, in a sense, I was discipled by the readings of C.S. Lewis, who died before I was even born. (laughs) But in a real way, I've been deeply impacted by him spiritually. There's people in this room who have been impacted by the ministry of R.C. Sproul, impacted by the ministries of Tim Keller, and many, many others that you've probably never met before but you've been able to grow and develop under the teaching of the community of faith that extends beyond these walls. And so I would wholeheartedly agree with Gary Millar who says, do you want to know God better? Then read his word. That's the starting place, but then listen to what he says. And read great books about his word. That's how we grow in knowing God better. Read his word, don't neglect that, but then read great books about his words so that we can grow in our understanding of his word and who he is. 
But notice that this teaching that Jesus has in mind in the Great Commission has a very specific aim. It aims at obeying everything Jesus commanded. So this is where the idea of a lifelong obedient learner comes from. Because again, the goal is not simply to be better informed. It is to be transformed. We could even say it better. It's to be conformed to the perfect law keeper, Jesus himself. The aim of discipleship is Christ-likeness, to be conformed to him. And we can easily lose sight of that because it's much easier to simply be informed by what we're reading, what we're hearing, than it is to be transformed and conformed to the image of Jesus. To quote Alistair uh, McGrath one more time, he warns us that there's an unhelpful tendency to think of growing in faith in terms of familiarization with theological theories rather than with a deepened love for and commitment to Jesus Christ. Discipleship is about following Jesus Christ, not simply locating him at the right place on a theological map. So that's important to recognize. This teaching has an aim to conform us to the image of Jesus. Now some of this discipleship is going to take place informally. Some of this going Some of this teaching is going to be quite informal as we simply have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone that we're talking with, as we share our struggles or share the things that we're learning in our homes, with our family or with our friends or in relationships. There's informal discipleship that just spontaneously happens in the moment. This is actually what God has in mind when he's instructing the Israelites through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, where he says, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently. It's discipleship language. Teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. In other words, whenever you have opportunity, talk about these things. So this is a kind of informal approach to discipleship and developing disciples. But there ought also to be planned, intentional, formal opportunities. I mean, think about baptizing Baptizing generally doesn't happen spontaneously, and there's formal going. There's formal teaching that aids in the development of discipleship, and we should have those things. And there are a number of formal opportunities for discipleship currently here at New Life. One of those things is a weekly worship service where you sit under the reading of the word, where you recite the word and the truths of the word as we sing back to the Lord, and where you sit under the teaching and the preaching of the word. So weekly worship is part of formal discipleship. Our discipleship hour classes that we'll be resuming in a couple weeks, August 15th, for our adults and children are also formal opportunities for discipleship, to grow, to learn, to be instructed in the word and to be taught to obey what Jesus has commanded. That's another formal opportunity. We have men's Bible studies. Uh, Bible Study Fellowship has been meeting here in the sanctuary on Monday nights recently. I don't know if that's going to happen again this fall, but I know the ladies' Thursday morning uh, Bible study group is going to be meeting again this fall, so those are other formal opportunities. We have opportunities for our youth and our children through our youth ministries and our children's ministries, so we have a number of formal discipleship opportunities. But I want to let you know that starting this fall, we'll be adding another discipleship program for our men and women, and that is called EQUIP. Our EQUIP program is something that's been developed right here at New Life. This program will consist of men's and women's small groups of about four to six people reading and discussing short books 
on basic fundamental biblical topics. Now really this is what the men's and women's Bible studies, or I'm sorry, discipleship groups have been doing in the recent past already. The difference now is that these books are now arranged in a coordinated course of study that will happen over several years in order to help equip people to live lives faithfully as disciples. Their aim is to connect you to Jesus, to connect you to other people who are connecting to Jesus, and to allow you to connect all of your life to God's truth, living under his truth. And we're gonna do this together because discipleship is a communal community project. So we're gonna meet in small groups where we can grow together in our convictions, we can grow together in our character, and we can grow together in our competence to walk as disciples and to minister and serve together. Now, it should be noted that these are not, strictly speaking, Bible studies, and they're not intended to replace Bible studies. They're not life groups. They're not going to be able to replace life groups. So we're going to still have Bible studies. We're going to still have life groups. Life groups will change a little bit. You'll have more information about that coming soon. But they're not intended to replace Bible studies. These are groups that are aiming to equip you, hence the name, with tools that you'll benefit from every time you open your Bible, every time you go to the Lord in prayer, every time you serve in the church, every time you're navigating through difficult relationship issues, every time you engage in worship. These discipleship groups are aimed, these equip groups are aiming at equipping you with tools for benefiting from those things, to be faithful disciples following Jesus. You can think of them as you would think about um, basic training for soldiers or residency for physicians or clinicals for nurses. There are certain tools that you have to have to be able to perform those duties faithfully and well. And the same is true if we're going to walk faithfully with Jesus. We have to be equipped with certain tools and that's what equip ministry is all about. Again, there'll be a lot more information coming up about these in the next couple of weeks, but hopefully you'll prayerfully consider joining one of these equip groups. One last thing to note here about the Great Commission, however, to make disciples. That is the Great Commission begins with Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the Great Commission to make disciples ends with Jesus. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so all of our endeavors as disciples all of our endeavors for discipleship, both individually and collectively, depend upon Jesus. Coming under his authority, following him, and cross-bearing self-denial, and are dependent upon his presence and his grace for us to be able to grow and to be the people he's called us to be and to conform us to him. Because our discipleship is from Jesus, it's by Jesus, it's for Jesus, and it's to Jesus. It's about him. And so as we think about our discipleship and leaving this place to be more faithful disciples, leaving this place so that we can be cross-bearing, self-denying, lifelong obedient learners of Jesus with the aim of being informed, transformed, and conformed to the image of our Savior, let's end in prayer. Let's go to him now. Our Father in heaven, your calling upon our lives is clear as your people, and it is to follow Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that we would not shrink from the difficult and costly demands that that entails, but rather that we would actively and intentionally do what you've called us to do, and that's to take up our cross, to follow Jesus. Because we know that in Jesus there is life. Lord, to follow Jesus is better than anything. It's hard, it's demanding, but it is the way to joy 
and eternal life. And so, Lord, help us not to shrink from that, but to be committed to follow you faithfully. Give us your grace to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.